it saves governments a lot of money, like from the, the health benefits of that. We're talking about billions of pounds, dollars, euros for, uh, that are being saved uh, from the health benefits. So there's a real reason, a real incentive for not just not just consumers to buy the products, but for cities to be designed in a way which kind of accommodate people using them. Hello and welcome to That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic of everyday technology with me, Chris Adams, and that guy over there, Sam Gregory. Hello. So today is a learning day for me, and although it's transport-related, Sam has a bit more of an affinity with today's guest. So uh, enough of a tease out of the way. Sam, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about today's guest? Sure. On today's episode, we welcome Rhys Howell, who comes to us from Berlin. And we have a good old-fashioned chinwag about exercise, tech, gadgets, and of course, e-bikes and the new age-old debate around the attitudes towards them. We also talk about city infrastructure around the huge increase of cycling, personal travel, and e-mobility as a whole. Well, if that gets your e-bike motor running and your wheels in motion, then settle in and enjoy. Hi, my name is Rhys Howe. I am the Chief Marketing Officer of Ampler Bikes, and I'm here to talk about my passion for all things tech, as well as the, uh, the changing attitudes towards e-bikes in the world today. What's your favorite tech? It's not the walking thing you just tell us about, is it? <laughs> yeah, I should say that that's my favorite thing. No, one of my favorite pieces of tech at the moment, it's a running power meter called um, Stride. I think coming from cycling and, and, and road racing, I'm used to using a power meter. So the idea of having a power meter for running is something which I have adopted and uh, I like quite a lot. And there's so many stats that come off the back of that. So I'm very into like kind of connectivity and scrolling over like all the different numbers, whether they're useful for me or not. What do you mean by a power meter then? What does that, what does that look like? So this device itself is actually a foot pod, which sounds actually quite old school, but it's funny how foot pods have suddenly come back being a thing. But um, yeah, it's a small pod which goes on your shoe and it, it basically records the movement of your foot in three-dimensional space and it creates basically a power number. So it's calculating how much power you're actually putting out Yeah, when you're running. Do you have to have one in each shoe? No, you just have one. So a, a little bit like um, slightly cheaper power meters, which just measure on your bike. They only measure power on one side and then they basically kind of double it. So it's kind of the same thing. So what do you get out of that then? Does it tell you like horsepower? Not quite. <laughs> uh, I'm not that fast. Um, <laughs> no, the main thing is, is that um, normally people run based on their pace. But if you're running into the wind or you're running up a hill or down a hill, then pace becomes like a really a really bad kind of way of um, seeing how you're performing. So power is consistent. So actually it means you can run up a hill at a set power and then you basically you're controlling your effort in a much more kind of sustained way. So in that sense, for me, it's just very intuitive to, to kind of run in this way or use that metric. Is that like a, a real-time thing then? Are you like looking at this on a watch or something? Yes. Yeah. Um, and also if I'm doing workouts, then you can do workouts to power as well. So that's also useful where I live in Berlin. I live next to this kind of abandoned airfield in the center of the city and it can be very windy. So actually having the power meter is very useful for me because I am often running way slower than I would like to be. <laughs> and I'm blaming the wind for that. Fighting against the wind. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sweet. So your passion is is running, and and does that translate over to you know e bikes and cycles and things like that, or are they you know mutually exclusive? I have to say, my, it's not necessarily my passion is running. It's actually my passion has been for a long time cycling, but it was the pandemic where I trained super hard to race. And I had, like, as far as my performance numbers went, I had my best year in 2020, but I only got to do three races. And I decided that it was kind of a waste of time. And I would instead spend my time and just for my own goals, basically go back and uh, try and beat 10-year-old personal bests in the in the world of running. So, And that's actually where I kind of crossed over and was like, going, okay, what are the tools that people are using now? And kind of got my head stuck into that area so uh still very much my passion is is cycling and bikes and uh, obviously bike extension e-bikes those three races you talked about is that a running race or a, a bike race those three in 2020 they were bike races so there were two road races and one time trial yeah but the the racing scene was kind of decimated a bit in the pandemic um so and uh as we are you know, primarily here to talk about e-bikes and the changing attitudes. Were, were these races on e-bikes or were they on the the old school, you know, those pedal things? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, to be clear, e-bikes, you, you know, they, they still have pedals. Um, I'm sure at some point, maybe they won't have pedals. Uh, let's see where, where that goes. But um, no, they were on my road bike. So if you want to pigeonhole me as a a roadie or a mountain biker then i think i'm firmly in the roadie camp so no they weren't on e-bikes do you know what though i'd love to do an e-bike cross country yeah you know the fact that the uci brought in e-bike racing was kind of crazy i you know the uci is quite old school um so for them to bring in an e-bike race was i don't know very surprising what's the uci the Union Cycliste Internationale, I think. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's the governing body. Uh, apologies, I probably butchered that, but yeah. So it's the <laughs> it's the governing body for the majority of international cycling events, basically. Mm. Uh, what do you What do you think the the addition of the e bike? You mentioned cross country, so I'm assuming there's some stamina thing. But what do you, what challenge or what dynamics do you think the e-bike brings to competitiveness because it's again we were talking briefly about the 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 induction into e-bikes being primarily older people it's a convenience thing and it's it's sort of i dare i wouldn't say lazy but it's for it's for just to help and assist as opposed to actually being a a sporting uh competitive advantage or, or disadvantage maybe i don't know i mean what are your thoughts there like yeah i think if you're looking at like a product that someone's going to buy uh you know it's really about just enabling them or assisting them in the parts where it's slightly harder i think but from a from a racing standpoint if everybody's on the same equipment uh, it's really a case of like it, it doesn't it doesn't matter like people will race anything won't they yeah exactly they'll <laughs> race lawnmowers so i don't know how big this is in in germany but um and I think it's big in America and the in the UK, lawnmower racing anyway. That's a slight digression. But uh <laughs> I think, yeah, the really exciting thing about obviously e-bike racing, mountain bike racing, is the fact that um yeah, you kind of have to sort of make a few decisions about when you're using that power. It also allows for 
bit more interesting racing on some of the uphill sections, you know, because normally like the, the hills, although they're not necessarily very big, you know, they are slightly more boring because you're not really racing it. Like you're just, then it just becomes around about your physical ability. Um, so in a way it's kind of takes away maybe the requirement just around physical ability. I mean, you still need to be really strong, but also then if you're, you're traveling those sections at speed, then you're also building in just a bit more skill, I think. And you can maybe add more challenging terrain, which maybe would not have been possible if you, if you didn't have like motor assist. So I just think there's, um, yeah, a lot of potential to build a different kind of, kind of racing. Does, does it get sort of looked down upon? like e-bike racing in comparison to like you know what we know as cycle racing just thinking more about like you know if you compare f1 to formula e i think at the moment people look down on formula e a little bit but that's probably going to change as the batteries get long bigger and the cars get more powerful and all of that sort of stuff um you know is there a similar thing in the e-bike world yeah definitely i mean um when when e-mountain bikes came onto the sea and i mean people laughed at them you know, there's always going to be this purest thread, uh, which is going to be against e-bikes. But I think what what I've always found is that as soon as you stick somebody on an e-bike, they realize how fun it is and their attitude changes. <laughs> I think this is also true for, for urban e-bikes. It's very easy, I think, for I don't know, someone like myself even to um, say, I don't need an e-bike. And then as soon as you sit on one, you go, oh, this is a lot of fun. And then you start to see there's one part, which is like there's really obviously clear benefits around getting around the town with minimal effort and not arriving to work covered in sweat, especially when it's over 30 degrees uh, like it is in Berlin. Or you just simply look like, oh, this is just fun. Yeah, that's true basically of all e-bikes. They are just all fun. So was that a similar thing you had? Did you have to get that, get over that yourself? No, not at all. I obviously have always had like non-pedal assist bikes, but I mean, I'm a bit more forward looking, I guess, you know, like I will just ride, I'll ride anything to be honest, you know? Um, yeah, I never had any kind of thing against e-bikes at all, just something different. So I also thought about it, like if I wanted to ride with someone, say like e-bikes are even more, I'd say kind of frowned upon than in the road cycling world rather than mountain biking, even though there's still obviously a bit of stigma with that. But, um, you know, just the idea of being able to ride with someone older, perhaps that's always ridden and they've lost a bit of fitness as they've, they've grown older. So just to be able to have an e-bike so they can just keep up on a club ride or something like this, it just seems like a no brainer to me. So, so I've got a road bike and I cycle into work every day. I feel like it might take away my fitness. And, you know, I, I actually like the fact, that, oh, I get my half hour of exercise in every day because I'm, you know, pushing on this bike. And if I was to get an e-bike, I still think I would push hard, but, you know, I'd get to work in 15 minutes. It will be a 15-minute exercise as opposed to a 30-minute exercise. So that's one of the things that I've kind of had a bit of a sticking point with um particularly with road bikes and commuting and stuff like that is like, I think the, the fitness is reduced, but must be some, I don't know. Do you get people talking about that or questioning that, or do you have any kind of answer to, 
maybe make me feel better about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's not necessarily something which has come across us, but I can imagine that being like a general kind of concern. You know, if you think this is my commute and this is how I'm going to get fit, it depends how many, how, what your power output is. Again, coming back to power meters, but you know, um, you know, if an ampere bike, you're getting 250 watt assist. So if you're pushing over 250 watts, then you're still getting a, a workout there. The other benefit of an ampere bike is you can just turn off the power and you don't actually get any um, resistance. So you could actually just turn the assistance off and just ride it like a normal bike. So, uh, so at least there are opportunities that if this is a sort of a concern, then I think that's something which we have thought about during the kind of design process. But, and it is a slightly you know, light, uh, heavier bike than a road bike typically so you know if you're riding an e-bike and it's about 16 kilos it actually doesn't feel that heavy actually but it's still going to probably be heavier than your standard commuter bike broadly how many different kind of categories are there of of road bikes so as an example i'm imagining there's maybe power assist in the pedals versus power assist in the wheels i don't know whether there's any more kind of categories to it that you guys produce or that you know of and maybe would even advise against or why you've gone for a particular route that you've you went down yeah there's different places where you can obviously put the motor rear wheel crank front wheel even there's some options i think they all have pros and cons basically for us it made sense to kind of like have the motor in the rear wheel for a lot of reasons also if you just think about that the balance of the bike you could argue actually and uh Hannes, who's our chief product officer, I mean, he'd probably maybe say something else, but like, I think actually, from my understanding, you get better assistance from the power if it was in the front wheel. This is where maybe if he's listening, he's going to shoot me. But, <laughs> uh, but I think for many reasons, people are kind of a little bit afraid, I think, of like front wheel drive in that sense. I think that's also true of like cars typically. And so actually having it in the rear makes a lot of sense, especially with regards to what people actually feel kind of comfortable with. I don't think the e-bike industry necessarily is like sectioning out bikes based on, you know, where motors are placed. I don't think we're necessarily kind of like at that point or there's no big argument of one's better than the other. And I, the most important thing is I don't think that really comes into consumers kind of purchasing decisions um either to be honest so yeah i think from an e-bike standpoint it's it's kind of not really like it's not really been decided if there is a better option or whether that is i've maybe at some point it's become something which consumers think about and care about but i think for the time being it's it's not necessarily in their mind and what other groovy tech do you have in the bike because i know that what's that stupid bike that apple sell that schmoosh or something like this smoosh or something that basically there's some interesting features on it though it's like anti-theft protection and things like that and gps tracking are there any like nifty little gadgets on your bike i can see a little screen on the I don't know, the crossbar there as well yeah so our new second generation bikes yeah they have this display um on the top tube before that we had an app so we still have the app but now we also have this um this display and and so that's kind of useful for just getting feedback so you know charging time how much battery do you have um what assist mode are you on for example uh and then with the app there's like a ton more information which you you've got access to so for example exactly as you mentioned you know you can kind of lock the bike and this will give you push notifications when you 
if someone moves your bike after you've kind of locked it. So that's kind of super useful. It's becoming more of a kind of a common feature. Uh, and then you get a load of other kind of access to your to your stats um, through the app. And uh, that's definitely something where we're growing and developing. So actually become not just a bike uh, manufacturer, but also basically a software company in a sense, because we're also looking at like what what tools can we build and develop, which are kind of complemented to this more connected kind of product. Mm. Could you put a power meter in the pedals or is is that like not how it works sort of thing there is a torque sensor which is you know what we use to obviously initiate the power assist i mean you could you you could turn it into a power meter you could also add um like pedal based power meter systems you know if that was something which people really wanted i think at the moment at least with the kind of more commuter minded consumer it's it's not something they necessarily want it's something i've definitely thought about because I am that way inclined. But yeah, I think it would be interesting to see if that's something which people become more interested in uh, in the future. Would you say that the pandemic specifically completely changed people's perspectives on the e-bike thing? Because we've spoken about people just being a bit apprehensive about it and purists saying, you know, what removes whatever. Was the was COVID like a bit of a catalyst in terms of like, I mean, did you see your sales go up particularly during that time? Yeah, so I think that it's not just e-bikes, it's actually just cycling as a whole. So e-bikes is one part of that. So there was definitely a massive shift towards people's kind of uh, improved perception of cycling, um, which has kind of had peaks and troughs, I think, um, over the years. You know, obviously, I used to live in London. I remember the massive influence it had when Bradley Wiggins won the Tour de France and uh, the Olympic gold in the time trial. I feel like this actually had a massive impact kind of in the UK, cycling in the UK. But the pandemic is obviously, it's a big global event. And it's those sort of, it takes massive life-changing events to actually change people's behaviors so you know in germany alone which is like our number one market you know there's five million bikes and e-bikes sold in 2020 so that first year so that was a increase in sales by i think it was at 43 percent so absolutely colossal sort of impact on the entire industry and that's considering that obviously the there were shutdowns, there's massive logistical issues, supply could definitely not meet demand. Um, so just to even take that into account is is really crazy. And I think um, whilst it's like, obviously, you do not want to live through a pandemic, but, um, you know, all of us have, then you still have to try and find some of the positives. And I think some of that was actually, yeah, definitely not just people's attitudes towards um cycling but also you know the people who are in charge of city infrastructure actually being proactive and building sort of pop-up solutions which is not true of all all cities but a lot actually were were very good at this um berlin which is my hometown uh, was incredibly good i mean we saw infrastructure change which I don't know when we would have seen it otherwise. And a lot of it, which was supposed to be pop-up, has become permanent. So uh, I feel like this actually moved on city planning for e-mobility by, I don't know, I feel like it could be five to 10 years in a sense. 
what's an example of the pop-ups you're talking about that become permanent? I mean, some of the worst roads that I can think of in Berlin, uh, especially from where I live. I mean, there was one road which was called Kotbusserdam. Sometimes I would cycle with my wife to work because it was the roads are kind of fairly. Uh, they've always felt quite dangerous. This was one road where I was like, I was always scared to take her down because uh, people are just one. People drive like maniacs. Two people would just park in the middle of the road, um, just block off a whole lane. So then, if you're cycling along, you'd have to swerve out into the one lane which is available. Yeah, I, I actually couldn't believe that they built a pop-up. They took away one of the lanes and built a pop-up bike lane. And I kind of felt like this is just going to be temporary, but then they actually changed it and they built a permanent bike lane, actually different to that one where they put the bike lane by the edge of the pavement and then they moved the parking into what was previously that additional lane. And uh, now it's a, it's a breeze to cycle down there. And there are tons of other examples in Berlin where these kind of pop-up bike lanes have become permanent. That's really interesting. I, just looking at like some of the bikes, not just your own bikes, but like e-bikes in general, the design seems to have changed dramatically from what I thought an e-bike was. It, it, do you think that's part of what is driving people towards adopting them? Partially. I think that like actually when the pandemic hit, people would kind of take any bike they could get hold of. Um, so I think there's been a bit of a there's also a bit of a shift now where as you know supply chains are still not perfect we've obviously had the war in ukraine we've had um complete lockdowns in china um so this has affected global supply chains but you know by and large people i think have an opportunity to be a bit more selective about the product they have where maybe they didn't have it in 2020 for example because people are going crazy for bikes so i think that now people are maybe being there a slightly more discernible kind of customer and I think and there are more brands that people are becoming aware of such as ourselves and um yeah they're they're looking for a slightly more I don't know sophisticated looking product I think it's one of the things we often talk about how you know we have an e-bike which doesn't look like an e-bike and that's because I think a lot of people's preconception around what an e-bike actually is is this quite heavy bulky step through bike um which breaks down all the time <laughs> you know you, you kind of expect to see almost like an electric version of the boris bike or uh, any other city bike you know something big heavy clunky exactly i think that if you say like a commuter e-bike to someone typically that's probably what they what comes to mind because i think that 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 type of that silhouette has existed for so long. And I think that that's something which Ampler is helping to do is to kind of help change perceptions around what an e-bike actually, you know, is and what it what it can look like. And not just, it's not going to weigh like, I don't, know, I don't know, you know, 20, 25 kilos. You know, we want to build a product which is, you know, you can lift up a flight of stairs. I mean, this is actually really important to us because especially if you're riding a bike around, you know, city dwellings, you, there are going to be times when you need to carry a bike upstairs, whether that's in your apartment or whether that's, you know, outside, then having a light product is actually super important. It's quite funny, actually, like where the Ampler office is in Berlin, there's actually like, um, we're right next to a, a park um, called the Gleistreich Park. And uh, 
there's actually like a ramp, but you have to come around the first floor of the office and then down this ramp. And most people don't see it. So they cycle towards this set of stairs. And the amount of people we see who are on a, like a, let's call it a traditional e-bike, they get to the set of stairs and they just turn around, go back the way they came from. And, you know, we're like, we're thinking like, oh, if you actually just turn around, you could go down this ramp. But then also if you were on like an ampler, e-bike then you'd just be able to pick it up and walk down the stairs anyway so i think that's where a lot of the the reasons why we built a a light product is is evident and it's evident to us every single day when we're looking out the window what compromises were made to make it light i mean the first thing that springs to mind is the battery yeah i mean i think that's um it's all about kind of i guess balance and compromise so you know, when we're talking about range, which is really the main thing rather than, I think people like to think about like, what's your battery capacity? I think we think a bit more about, you know, what's the range? Like how far is someone actually going to, you know, ride this bike? And, you know, on a full charge, you can, you can get up to 75 kilometers. So that is far and above like the average kind of commuter distance. And so in that sense, you know, you can get kind of several trips out of your week before you need to charge it. And that's kind of the main thing that we kind of focused on. Okay, so if you have a larger battery and a heavier bike, you could save it. Oh, maybe I don't need to charge it. Like maybe it's once a week or it's not even that, you know. But I think that's what we we felt that actually having a lighter product, which still covers off the range and the distances that people would want to do, is a kind of fair compromise, um, to be honest. And then making it super easy to to charge your bike is also then kind of paramount to that. So we've all got our little side projects going on. Have you uh, hired some people to work on your little projects? Oh, absolutely. I'm useless at design. There's a few services out there, though, right, to find people. Where, where do you go? The best place that I've gone, if I was to pick one of these services, is probably Fiverr. It's a bit misleading, though, isn't it? Because they're not going to be a Fiverr. No. <laughs> but, you know, with all these side projects, we don't want it to cost the world. We just want a little bit of help on a little bit of copywriting or a bit of design that we can't do ourselves and shouldn't really attempt to do it because you're going to do a bad job otherwise. If it's not your if it's not your kettle of fish, don't boil the frog. There's a mixed metaphor if ever you heard one. <laughs> <laughs> Get someone on Fiverr, they'll do it much quicker. The prices are very, very reasonable, unless you want to go to the Fiverr preferred members and get your startup up sooner. And you can uh, throw into that tech show at the same time by heading over to thattech.show or taking a look in the description and clicking the affiliate link. And you can try out Fiverr and you can uh, be supporting that tech show whilst you're doing it. Because we get a little bit of a kickback. Give it a go. Venture into the world of outsourcing. Your your life will change at Fiverr.com. What are customers wanting more of that we can't deliver just yet? Or what, what is the kind of future when it comes to e-bikes? Because it sounds it seems like they're in a really sweet spot right now. They're light. They can go, you know, 75 kilometers is quite a lot. But where do you think everyone's trying to get to? What do you think the next uh, evolution of e-bikes is? Uh, I think that's really interesting because this kind of sky's the sort of limit. I think actually what's kind of starting to blur more is like what is a what is an e-bike? You know, we just, we talk about e-mobility, and within that starts to become other things which are kind of like a 
a mishmash of a bike and you're seeing mixtures between bikes and cars um we're seeing mixtures between like scooters and bikes and actually the lines are kind of getting a little bit blurred as to emo's what is an e-bike in it in itself because e-mobility is kind of becoming this all-encompassing sort of term so that's a really kind of interesting aspect to it i think where even just the the look of what or the question of like what is a bike is starting to kind of change uh, a little bit for certain obviously then the connectivity aspect is something which is um something consumers are increasingly interested in um having more things built into it so like the theft detection for example um people are looking for a product which can kind of do everything basically and that's also true when it comes to like usage you know people are buying e-bikes to kind of replace their car journeys so um they're also looking for something whether it's uh, an e-bike and then it just involves adding you know, panniers or baskets to that, if that suits their needs or if it's child seats or if it's adding a trailer, um, then that's kind of an adaptation in itself. Uh, or are also more people moving to maybe larger bikes? So if you think about cargo bikes, for example, um, which Ampler doesn't, doesn't currently make a car, doesn't make a cargo bike, but it used to be something which only like couriers basically used pretty much like they're very rare and now they're at least in berlin you know they're fairly ubiquitous so even attitudes towards other types of bikes is is starting to change and again it's like people looking for a product which could kind of replace um, them using their car or using public transport and yeah definitely also those changing kind of uh environments especially in an urban environment allows people to actually do that so the evolution is kind of happening you know in both ways in that sense so as where before it's always been consumers basically being ahead of urban planning but now they're a little bit in uh tandem to to use a bike pun (laughs) (laughs) i wish i'd planned that but that was accidental but um It does feel like that at the moment. You know, everybody is actually kind of moving in the right direction. Are there any tandem e-bikes out there? Probably. I, I'm afraid if there are, then I'm ignorant um, of their existence. But knowing uh, some of the crazy and wacky bikes I've seen at Eurobike over the years, I would, I would, I would probably gamble that it definitely exists. So the cargo bike one is interesting, though. Certainly, I mean, do you think that that's the sort of thing that might replace the? Um, the sort of delivery scooter you know we see a lot of them knocking around don't we cargo bikes are incredibly incredibly functional i think the the element which has held them back is the balance like the weighted balance of those products and i think that can be kind of intimidating obviously having a much longer wheelbase the people's attitudes are kind of the same when it comes to cars you know so uh, especially when you have your first car, you're, you're typically going to buy like something quite small, Ford Fiesta. <laughs> My knowledge of cars is fairly limited, but I know, <laughs> actually I was talking about it the other day, I was like, I remember when I wanted to buy my first car, I wanted a Ford Fiesta Mark II specifically. Wow, you're distinctly rooted in the 90s, I think. Though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so the XRI version, was it? It was just, <laughs> uh, it just had some slightly different modeling, I think, for around the lights. I don't know why. Oh, it's the XR2. It's the XR2. There we go. Is the XR2? That was, that was cool. That was a cool car. Set them off now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Let's get back to bikes. 
I was just going to say, yeah, I think, you know, your first car is kind of like a smaller car typically, and then you maybe move on to coupe. Um, then maybe you'd go on to a, an estate when you've got a family and you're much more comfortable. And yeah, I think those kind of like, I don't know if they're cliches, I think they're fairly true kind of buying behaviors. They also kind of cross over, I think, into bikes. So yeah, you're definitely less likely to buy like a cargo bike like as your first bike. I think you have to, currently you have to feel pretty comfortable riding a bike. So I think also that then means that maybe this cargo bike segment also sort of develops and adapts um, to kind of compensate for for some of those things. I've also been seeing a lot of trikes, by the way. I think I feel like the trikes making a comeback. So like a rev- with the two wheels at the front. I don't know if you call that like a reverse trike, but yeah, you, you get a few sort of scooters that are like that, and I say scooters in the sort of petrol sense um, that you know ha- have the two wheels at the front to give that added stability. Like I was wondering whether the um, you know the onset of more more e bikes and e scooters as well, whether that is going to take away some of the market that would previously be dominated by like petrol scooters, for example. I would say definitely, but I think what's interesting, at least with scooters, is that the the increase in you know scooters which are running on battery, e-scooters, has also grown exponentially, and it's not also just you know purchasing you know rent these kind of rental whether it is um, paying a subscription every month or whether it is just being able to like hop on and use the e-scooter for a single trip, like these products have also kind of exploded so in a sense they're they kind of work together kind of naturally um especially in a sense that they're a more environmental environmentally friendly kind of product so i feel that they're they're also those e-scooters are busy taking from kind of petrol scooters and i think probably e-bikes are taking us a part of that as well to what degree i don't think anybody actually really has a good answer for that at the moment I think they're all kind of because of this the electronic electronic the electronic revolution <laughs> the electric revolution I think all of these different methods of transport or, or even you know, exercise or whatever are finding themselves in new market categories and so people are rethinking well what are these good for like what is the what is the purpose of this now now that we've got this added extra power maybe maybe someone who is on the cusp of riding a bike like let's let's say the the low end i've no idea no idea what that means but then they're like well with all this extra power i actually just need a scooter or on the flip side i was riding a a moped or whatever and i don't need all this power so i can step down to a a bike sort of thing and uh, people are discovering new ways to use scooters and new ways to use bikes maybe maybe mopeds or or scooters enter a world of like cross-country as opposed to just being things you can nip around the um nip around the town on i have no idea but it's a really interesting shift so it feels like everything's kind of shifted up a notch or shifted up a level sort of thing and on these um cargo bikes as well the primary use i can imagine i mean correct me if i'm wrong the primary use of these are delivery uh folk judging by the prices of some of these as well there's some crazy prices on them but i would i would worry about you know Bezos coming in with his drones and being like everything, all deliveries and stuff being all automated and little buggies riding around that you don't need, they don't need to be bikes with the advent of uh, the electronic revolution. That's got to be a way away though, hasn't it, surely? 
Probably, probably. But I guess my overall point is just we're rethinking why like why have i why i've got the thing what is the purpose of this thing now now you you add a battery to it it's just getting people to rethink you know yeah i think uh i mean cargo bikes is uh is interesting just because uh it seems that most people use them whilst deliveries is obviously probably still the primary reason why people or businesses are using them I think a lot of people are buying them and they seem to be using them to transport their dogs and children around in. I have a slightly skewed view being based in Berlin, but I think that that's probably fairly true, to be honest, of where a lot of the growth has come from. Because again, people are looking at cargo bikes um, and they're saying, well, we could use this to transport, take the kids to um, school or the nursery school to go to the park to go have a picnic we can use it to go to ikea if we need to and actually transport the things we need back as long as you're not buying like a like a bed or something but you know you can carry quite a lot of weight and uh, depending on which product you have you know some quite big bulky stuff in a in a cargo bike and um yeah i think to a degree also that's the case with e-bikes you know people are discovering i think discovering is the right word what you can actually do with a with an e-bike that's because you know you might not want a cargo bike but you can buy a trailer and it's really no effort to cycle around with a trailer which which has the kids or, or a dog in um or something else in in the same way so is there a way to measure the impact of having weight on something like that you know if i'm gonna go and buy a cargo bike or i'm gonna buy something put a trailer on an, on an e-bike you know, you, you you know if it's a human-powered machine that you're going to have to put in a bit more effort if you've got a bit more weight. And I think, I suppose, you know, if you have a like a moped or something similar which has a, like a, a petrol engine, then you kind of expect that that's going to do most of the grunt work for you, and maybe you'll be the engine will sound a bit strained potentially. But is there a similar sort of measure for an e-bike? Like, you know, what what if I was going to buy a bike and I think, well actually if i put some stuff in it is it just going to stop you know or is that just is that just an old view of the power that's in an electric bike (laughs) all i was thinking about is i've heard a lot of two-stroke engines which sound like they're strained all the time oh yeah Um, (laughs) yeah i think um you know at the end of the day we're not talking about horsepower in that same sense but you know you're still talking about we're still talking about power how much power is required to to move forwards? I don't know what the what the physics equation is, but I imagine it's very easy to calculate what sort of power is required to move a, a mass forward. Again, I don't think it's something which necessarily comes up um, with regards to what consumers ask for. Currently, I think actually the more ubiquitous adding a trailer to a bike becomes, or carrying even heavier loads on a bike which I, I see as being inevitable then i think this is going to be something which we then talk about like as a as a metric which people judge their their product by i think the main thing that people look for is like what's the how much power do i get you know to assist me basically and for most people 250 watts is is more than enough so yeah that's the main thing which people are kind of interested in currently is, is that a confusing thing, though, for people to understand what, what power means in watts, for example? Yeah, I think there's definitely um, people are educating themselves more in this sense. If, you, if you're someone like me who comes from like road cycling, road racing, then 
you know what a watt we well, you know what a watt represents i mean it's interesting because it, even to know what is a watt from a power meter there's actually no kind of industry standardization um to be honest in how that is actually measured so but i think that you know we know like what is the average sort of power that somebody puts out you know through testing through through riding the bike through a commute um and so we at least we know that 250 watts is more than enough for most people i think for consumers they're probably still not sure like uh, a large majority of them what does that actually mean but they're slowly becoming more educated it's also why part of the reason why a company like ampler um, also moved into retail because we actually know how important and how important it is still for a direct-to-consumer brand to actually have these touch points because people do need that extra level of kind of education um, around what an, what an e-bike um, is and what it's capable of. And even to your point, what does 250 watts feel like? Yeah, so I think it's it's one of those areas where it's, it's slowly kind of developing and, and growing. Uh, but, you know, it's really hard to like, how else do you communicate that benefit to someone? Of course, you can talk around, you know, this bike would get you up this sloped hill in x amount of time for example so you can look at other measurements like that but then there's also so many other kind of variables which go into that so uh, in a sense the watts is something which becomes slightly easier to measure so if you're looking at different products you can compare that between every product because you know every e-bike brand will be talking around how many watts we're basically putting out you mentioned about the, the weight thing. I thought that would be top of people. Well, not, obviously, people don't want to necessarily admit to it, but like um, how their weight would be affected if, they, if, say, they were slightly overweight or whatever. Like the 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 specs and the power that they read, surely that would diminish with the with the weight of the person or or what they intend to carry or whatever. Yeah, of course. I mean, again, in in road cycling. Sorry, road racing more specifically, you know, actually the the measurement which you pretty much are measuring is not just watts, it's uh, watts per kilogram as a, as a differentiator. So I think this is kind of also true. Again, that level of thinking, I think, is not necessarily there in the consumer's minds. You know, they're not looking at like, what's my weight? And then what's the watt per kilograms kind of work out to be? But I think, you know, definitely if you want to carry a, a heavier mass at the same speed, then you are going to require more power. But I think there's also, there's a lot of scope in a 250 watt assist where by and large, that's going to be more than enough for, for, for most people. So I don't think, again, I don't think it's really in consumers' minds for that 250 watt number maybe is not, not going to be enough for them. Uh, I could be wrong. There's probably fringe cases to that, but I think that's generally generally the case where it's that's not necessarily the big deciding factor in people's minds. So where did the bike fascination stem from? Where did that uh, first twinkle in your eye, first sparkle? I mean, I've always, I've always ridden a bike. I... Yeah, even as a really young kid, I, re I remember there was a road at the end of a. I, I grew up in a in a small village, and there was a there was a hill at the end of the road, and I a Dean Road. I only know because I I wrote about <laughs> wrote about it at some point. I just remember like my my dad being able to ride up it, and I couldn't get up it like in one go. So I was always like determined, like 
I want to be able to ride up this up this climb without getting off and uh and then the joy of actually being able to do that for the first time as a I don't know how old I was it must have been about six or seven I think so uh, I think I lost a bit of my love for cycling um when I moved to a bit when I went to university because um I lived in Nottingham it was a very small city and you don't need you just walk everywhere it's that small uh moved to london and i actually thought it was too dangerous to to ride a bike for a long time um and then i so i actually got into running so we're almost going full circle on this but um i started i got bored of running and then i started doing triathlon and i remember having to borrow someone's bike to do the london triathlon and uh I just remember a moment where I got out from doing the swim <clears throat> around like a dock just off of the Thames, which is one of the maybe one of the worst experiences of my life. Not swimming in the Thames. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine that's pleasant. It's not pleasant. And it was also exhausting. Like I got out and I just felt drunk. Like I could couldn't walk in a straight line. I was so tired. Did you ingest much of the Thames? I did and did not get sick. So that says more about me and the bacteria in my gut than it does the cleanliness <laughs> of the Thames, I think. Yeah. And I remember getting on the bike and the feeling I had was like, I'm home. Like there was genuinely what I thought in my head and how I felt. And uh, it was from there where I was like, right, I just want to ride my bike. I just want to ride a bike now. So I bought my first bike. Uh, from a retail store, I remember riding back during rush hour with uh, first time with uh, with clips, uh, with cleats, oh, and God. the fear of trying to, of falling over in the middle of rush hour and didn't, which is um, try, quite unbelievable to be honest. And there from from there on in, I took my bike everywhere. So I actually enjoyed a bit, you know, I enjoyed a bit of the danger of riding around London. Um, I'm glad to say that actually when I go back to London now, it's a lot safer. Like the, the infrastructure has improved so much that I'm very happy that more people can enjoy riding around the city and not necessarily kind of suffer in the way that, that I did and so many other people did. Yeah. And then it was from there on in that I decided that I wanted to work in the cycling industry and, uh, and made the switch and, and moved out of London and moved to the countryside in, uh, in Germany to, to work for Canyon. You said you made the switch to wanted to work for the bike industry. Where were you before that? So before that, I was working as a digital marketing consultant and I was really like the best paid gigs, um, in London were really around quite boring <laughs> clients. Um, so I did a lot of, I, I don't know why, but I got a bit of a uh, reputation for being able to handle quite boring clients. Um, so, you know, I did stuff for like the UK government. I did stuff for banks, FMCGs. I did, did have some good stints working for companies like Xbox, but you know, I, I really just felt like I wasn't necessarily doing something that I was truly passionate about. And I wasn't having a positive impact in the world, even if that was small, so that's why I really decided I wanted to follow kind of one of my passions, which was either going to be rugby, which I was still playing at the time, or cycling. And cycling won that one. That's interesting. So on that note of like something you're passionate about, something you want to make a difference on, what what did cycling or more specifically, I guess, what does Ampler provide? What, what do you think, what changes do you want to see in the world? 
based on your decision to work in the cycle industry? I mean, I think in the most simple sense, just more people to be to be riding bikes. I would like to see cities built and designed for people um, and not for cars. There are times when anyone probably is probably seen or experienced it where maybe at some point where a road has to be closed or something because of roadworks or something and there's no cars on it they become an instantly different place to live it's not just healthier because obviously you don't you take away all of these exhaust fumes fumes they're they're just better places for people to coexist and um definitely in our urban environments this seems like kind of a no a no-brainer to be honest and I think we also see this a little bit um, in urban inner city areas where, you know, even from people's political kind of decision making, the people are aligning more with people who are more interested in a better living spaces, basically, for people. So, and I see that even if you're just focusing on the cities, I mean, obviously, people buy ampler products from all around uh, the countries that we sell to but even if you just look at cities then that has a massive impact one and like if you're just looking at happiness of the people who live there but then also if you're looking at the impact on the environment and you could say one is environmental impact one is also health so people obviously benefit from being more active by taking a bike instead of a uh, instead of a car they're they're healthier because there's less exhaust fumes there's also you know if you want to be kind of take the cynical view there's also saving it saves governments a lot of money like from the the health benefits of that um you know it's we're talking about billions of pounds dollars euros for uh, that are being saved uh, from the health benefits so there's a real reason a real incentive for not just not just consumers to buy the products but for cities to be designed in a way which kind of accommodate people using them are you already actively involved in those changes? I mean, by obviously working with Ampler and helping e-bikes exist, you're naturally making those changes. But are you, are you say, working with local authorities or um, health organizations and whatever and, and partnering with them or, or doing anything kind of like that to, to make those changes or to, to sort of like encourage progression of those changes? Um, yes, we are. We're probably not doing as much as we would like, but this is definitely part of our long-term vision. I mean, even just recently, we we partnered in Berlin with a, um, a thing which is called Stadtraden, um, which is to promote city cycling, for example. So, um, and that's a it's a big it's a big thing in Germany, which is just encouraging people to get out and ride their bikes so it's obviously encouraging a healthier behavior they also if you record your rides on their app then this is then data which they can use to actually see how people are moving through the city and influences kind of city planning so even like a small partnership like that was kind of like a no-brainer for us to be honest and um i think this is also something which we as a business just want to do more and more of um as we continue to grow i actually think that we see ourselves as um, with a real desire to be kind of leaders, not just in the products that we, we develop and the behavior we want to encourage, but also, yeah, helping people's environments to become more bike friendly, basically. So I think, you know, for, for a business our size, you know, we're, we're, we're still like a, you know, from a, 
like, I guess, I don't know if it's a UK term, but we you know would be classified as an SME, then we already have kind of a dedicated, we have a dedicated person looking after sustainability. And the whole business has this as kind of a, as a, as a topic, like how do we also become more of a sustainable business? Um, and, you know, be one of those few businesses in the cycling industry, which kind of actually has like a B Corp certification. So um, it's very important with regards to what our environmental impact is as a business, but also it's, that is interwoven with everything. Like how do we have happier employees? How do we um, also promote kind of healthier kind of lifestyle and behavior also with our consumers? Um, yeah, the, the whole shebang. I think this is also like a very modern approach and, and, and B Corp's a good example of where businesses are now actually doing more and it helps create the framework for them to to be better businesses basically so um, we've always had that ambition but b corp also then gives you that avenue to kind of go down and check off the the things which you you know you should be doing and then yeah we are you know slowly but surely yeah it's really aspirational i think it kind of um well it, it ties in so naturally just to the whole e-bike you know thing is that um people are getting out there's getting more people out there healthier and greener and all the rest of it so it's a lovely it's a lovely synergy to all of that and it's great that you're kind of um well you're obviously very passionate about all that kind of stuff and it's nice to know that you are actively doing something about it you know through your work and you made that choice and it kind of paid off is there any kind of final thoughts that you have or you want to leave our listeners with uh before we wrap up i guess uh the the most obvious one would be would if you haven't tried an e-bike or if you're unsure of riding an e-bike um then i would i would just suggest you try just try one you know it doesn't have to be an ampler bike it can be any anyone i think you know if you're if you're unsure on the fence then just try one um because we see that people's attitudes are changing so if you haven't tried one or you're a bit unsure about it i would just say yeah maybe just uh just try it out and you'll just find that there are there are a lot of fun so couple of quid pick up a line bike and uh, pop down the shops with one <laughs> yeah i mean actually the, the honestly the i think the difference of uh, the rental bike not I, I don't know you know like the subscription or like uh pick up and go e-bikes i think in the end they have had a positive impact just on people's attitudes to e-bikes because they're so accessible um there's such a low uh kind of barrier to entry to use that sort of term but and it really is it just gets people to to try out a product so and have that kind of first experience of an e-bike so in that sense you know whilst maybe they're not the most um always the most environmentally friendly because we see a lot of waste from these type of businesses they definitely help move the the needle when it comes to attitudes it's a stepping stone isn't it so yeah Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Reese, for spending some uh, time with us, talking to us about e-bikes. It's been uh, it's been a fun little chat, and uh, thanks for being part of the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, good talk that one. It inspired me to take a little look at e-bikes. They're certainly not what I thought for sure. Yeah, I actually um, built my own e-bike off the back of this episode, so I was uh, inspired. Yeah, and I've seen that as well. It's cool. So thanks for sticking around until the end. Remember to follow or subscribe if you haven't already. And why not leave us a review over on uh, on Podchaser? And that will certainly help people get a glimpse of whether this episode is right for them.
Next time on the show, we have Jeff Perry, who will be talking about mindset and coaching. So we'll see you then. See you then.